um, when we look at tongues, uh, and we've talked about tongues before, uh, tongues is one of those gifts that oftentimes has been very, uh, how do you put it, divisive uh, in the church. A lot of times people fight over who has the gift of tongues and who doesn't have the gift of tongues. And um, So I, I know there have actually been church denominations out there that have banned the use of the gift of tongues uh, because of the divisiveness, right? <laughs> And, and I think one of the things that strikes me that Paul's doing, because we remember that 1 Corinthians is a, it's a book that's written to correct misuses. And Paul did not ban the gift of tongues. He, he taught them how to use it properly, right? But he said, you know, if you, if you see tongues, and, and I've, I've met people, and you know what, when I was young myself, <laughs> that was one of the big gifts I wanted. I want a gift of tongues, right? Um, and I wanted it bad enough to get angry at God because he didn't give it to me right away. Uh, and I got angry at some of the people that I was around because why did you get it? And I didn't get it. And I couldn't explain all that. And I'm like, whatever, right? You know, so finally I'm like, well, but, but the desire for that gift never went away. And one day I went to a meeting and they were, some guy was praying over people. And so I got myself up in the line and, and uh, he started praying for me. And uh, I experienced when he prayed for me, he put his fingertips on my chest. And I had this picture, like my eyes shut, and I had this picture of this white flash. Boom. And I woke up on my back. So apparently it fell over. Um, and, uh, and I was, I had this, I was speaking in this, in this tongue. And then I went away from that experience, and I thought... I don't know, man. It sounds like I'm making it up. It sounds stupid, right? You know, it not make no sense. And, and the other thing was, is that I didn't have lightning bolts or nothing like that when I spoke in it, right? So it was just these weird noises. But I found that every time I got in a hard spot, I would want to pray that way. Yeah. And yet I doubted it. And so a few years later, I went to another conference, and I went up, and there was this old guy, old preacher talking, and I went up and I said, you know, I, I thought I had this gift that I wanted, but I doubt it. I think I might be making it up. And he says, oh, boy, he says, you don't understand your father. He says, your heavenly father, he wouldn't give you a bad gift. Sure. You know, the scripture says that. Jesus taught that. He says, if you being evil fathers, broken fathers, uh, know how to give your children good gifts, Holy Spirit, you know, your heavenly father, you know, he, he, will, he will never give you an evil gift. You just have to learn how to trust him. And so, you know, I started out on this journey then from that point. Ah, I started crying, actually, because he prayed over me there. And then I began to use this gift, and I, I, I decided in that moment, I'm going to have to trust God. That because he loves me, right? And so, you know, as we look at some of these gifts, though I speak with the tongues of men or angels, but have not love. Who is love? Jesus, you know, speaking, you know, G Jesus preached that our God does what he does in his life because of love. John 3.16 is the most famous verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So every touch on your life and on my life is driven by God's love, right? First uh, John 4.18, if we, if, we, um, if we fear, it says we don't understand the love of God. Because God is not driven by punishment. He, he doesn't punish us. He took our punishment. You know, uh, what is it, First John 4 also? It, like John just says, God is love. Yeah. God is love. 
So this motive that God have had in giving us these gifts in the first place is love. So now that's I guess that's the other thing too. You know, like I, I always come to understand that God is an economical God. So not all of us, you know, as we looked at First Corinthians twelve, not all of us got the same gifts. And I think one of the reasons not all of us get the same gifts is because then we need each other. You know what I mean? Somebody has this gift, somebody has that gift, somebody has the other gift. And I've been in groups where the gifts have been stirred around a bit, you know, where it's like, okay, I didn't have that gift last time. <laughs> I got it this time, you know. But we, God brings us together into groups, even like this. You know, you'll have people that are very thoughtful, people that are very theological, people that are very... Um, they're very th- uh, thinking. You also have people that are very emotional, people that are compassionate, people that are intuitive. You, you end up with these mixes of people. I mean, I look at my own family. You know, they're, aside from the fact that they're all a little weird, they're, they're, all, they're all quite beautiful, and they are very different. Some of them are touchy-feely. Some of them are not touchy-feely, you know. Um, but we, we love each other, and we're close to each other. And thank God for my family, right? And so the same image, you know, the same kind of understanding of this family thing where we're so different from each other, and yet we complement each other. And yet, there's also that selfishness. You know, when we talk about sin, Romans 14, 23 says, whatever not of faith is, uh, is sin, right? Um, Adam and Eve... Well, first thing, when they sinned, they became selfish. So that selfishness thing here is here. And this has actually been functioning in the Corinthian church. They have become selfish. They become prideful. They, they oftentimes, they don't, they have not even known what love is. You know, so when you think about it, um, what is love? I remember being in seminary one day and everybody was using the word gospel, right? Gospel means good news. So finally, I'm sitting in class, and I think we're all using different definitions. So I asked, I asked the question. I said, what is gospel? Who can define gospel? Like, the largest part of the class couldn't define what the gospel was. What is the gospel? First of all, it's good news. And it's good news in the middle of our bad news. And everybody here has had bad news. Everybody here has had darkness in their life in some way, shape, or form. And Jesus has brought the good news to you. The good news is you're beloved. The good news is you are worth his life. The good news, he died to forgive your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. And so whatever happens in this life, you have eternity to look forward to. This is the gospel, right? The gospel is not just whatever feels good, do it. The gospel is that you are beloved by God. So anyway, so Paul begins to address the Corinthians, and he begins to speak about the misuses of the gifts. And he says, he says, fellas, women too. He says, you know, these are not these gifts are not given for for showing off. They're not given given for selfish purposes. They're given as an expression of God's love. And and again, because God is an economical God, you know, I always think about the cross. The cross was an economical move on the behalf of God. What, what does that mean? It means God did on the cross exactly what needed to be done, no more and no less. God does not waste anything. So this is the same idea with these gifts. God gives them to us because we need them. 
I remember talking to somebody, uh, and I asked them. Uh, they were. Uh, I asked them. I said, uh, I forget what the conversation, but I remember asking them. <laughs> I said, Do you have the gift of tongues? Well, yeah. When was the last time you used it? Uh, 1972. Are you kidding me, right? God gives you a gift, and you don't use it. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to. Well, okay, well, maybe we should go back to our Bibles, right? That's what your Bible's for. It teaches you stuff, right? Like, when I got the gift of tongues, finally, it was sort of funny, because God let me get, get over all of my, my frustration and my anger and my... My, my selfish desires, and then when it's like, okay, you know what, Lord, whatever, I surrendered. It was right around that time that I finally got this gift. And in this gift, uh, I remember shortly after that, I, uh, I realized I haven't really used that gift much. And partly because I forget all the time. I don't know if you guys forget. Some of you guys have great minds, and you don't forget nothing. Me, I forget to use stuff. So I decided, well, how am I going to get into the habit of using the gift of tongues? You know, First uh, uh, Corinthians 14, as we move forward, it says that in using the gift of tongues, we speak to God by the Spirit, and it builds us up in our spirit. It blesses us. It strengthens us in our relationship with God. And so, so here I am, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm, I'm not using a gift, so what do I do? So I decided that... Uh, Every meal, I'm going to pray over my food in tongues. It's going to be my grace. And after a couple of weeks, I was so used to using that gift, I use it every day after that. Amen. But, you know, again, like why, why would we give these, these, why would God give us these gifts? He gives them to us because we need them. He gives them to us to bring us together as the community of God. And he gives them to us as an expression of his love for us. You know, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Well, somebody, you know, think about the gift of tongues. Um, Jacqueline and I uh, uh, heard the story of a lady who she's... uh, I think she was Chinese, right? She gets on the plane and she speaks to the person beside her. No, she's not Chinese. She's, she's non-Chinese. She sits beside a Chinese person on the plane and God, God lays on her heart, I want you to speak in tongues to the lady next to you. And she's going, are you kidding me? That's, that's fairly weird, right? And so she finally, you know, gets up the gumption. This is one of the things you got to know about the gifts. When you step out to use the gifts, there's risk involved. You know what I mean? Because you're thinking... That was just pizza from last night saying this to me, right? This, like, you gotta take a risk. You gotta take an adventure, right? And this is the thing about God. You're gonna okay. We're gonna jump off the cliff here a little bit, right? Yeah. But you, the the thought when God speaks to you, He grabs a hold of you and He knocks, like, you know, and He doesn't stop, right? So the thought doesn't let you go. So finally, you go, okay, Lord, I'm in Your hands. I'm gonna make a fool of myself if it's not You, but I'm ready, and you do it. And so this woman, she looks at the woman beside her and she goes, that's what she does, right? You guys know what I just said, right? That's not Chinese, sorry. Interpretation is, anyway, okay. So, but she looks at her and she starts to speak in Chinese. And the, and the woman's looking at her like, and, and it weirds her out. So she stops and the woman goes, well, don't stop now. You're in the middle of a sentence. 
Turns out she is speaking in this woman's dialect. Wow. You know, and I mean, if you know China, right, there's X number of hundred dialects. Yeah. You know, my doctor's, <coughs> my doctor's di dialect is Taiwanese, I think. Anyway. What's that? Tai Chinese? There you go, Tai Chinese. Dr. Chong, anyway. But there's all these dialects and she's yeah. speaking in this, and she explains the gospel, and this woman comes to faith. Anyway, you know, this is one of the manifestations of tongues that we actually see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit pours out on a meeting like this. Yeah. Tongues of fire are manifested. Everybody has this flame burning on their heads that doesn't consume their hair. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they are given this need to go down into the streets. A group of people that is terrified of what could happen to them is suddenly taken by the boldness of God. They're given this need to go into the streets and suddenly I have to approach somebody that I don't know and bada hunday shoulda bada you know, I start. We start speaking in tongues and it says that everybody heard them proclaiming the gospel in their own language. Awesome. That's Hallelujah. amazing stuff, yeah. I actually had that experience with a Tibetan woman in another dialect. Wow. And, and like, like I can't tell you how she was really, but she was so intrigued. Yeah. She was looking at me and she was trying to talk back, but I couldn't like really speak completely back, but I had given her some kind of message. I believe that. Yeah. Somehow yeah. she heard that because I felt so strongly I was supposed to do that. And I just said, yeah. okay, I'll just do it. Yep. <laughs> Kind of scary. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not totally uncommon. Uh, a friend of mine did that too. He picked up a guy at the airport from an immigrant and God laid on his heart, I want you to speak to him in tongues. And my friend's quite, he's, he's a bit of a skeptic, right? <laughs> but he looks over and he, so he does. And the guy burst into tears. Yeah. And a message that was spoken to him. He, so my buddy goes like, like, what are you getting? Because I don't understand this, right? And... Uh, the guy says, yeah, you, you just gave me a message from God. And I forget what the message was. But though we speak with the tongue of men and angels. Now, so it says sometimes, you know, people that have tongues, you know, you, you have a, a human tongue. It's a known tongue. And sometimes you speak in the, in, in the dialect of angels. So it's not a known language. Whatever, however you speak, it, it is manifestation according to Corinthians 12 of the Holy Spirit, and it is to be driven by the love of God, right? And, it, and it's, this is so interesting, you know, he says, if I don't have this love behind it, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Uh, whoever practiced drums in the basement when you were young? Well, that would be my neighbor, right? And my old, you know, my old man screaming across the fence at him, shut up down there, right? Like... <laughs> You know, like, that's exactly what this says. It's like, you know, this is how people will react to you. Yeah. When you use the gifts out of an unloving or selfish or prideful heart, you will become so annoying to people. They will want to get away from you. Uh, they will not be drawn to you. They will, they, they'll start screaming, shut up out there, you know. Uh, that's their reaction. So, you know, in some ways, you know, as you look at the gifts and as the gifts, you know, God gives us gifts and as we manifest those gifts and as we take the risk to jump off the cliff and do something maybe that the Lord is leading, you know, you, you look at the, uh, the result, you look at the response and you can tell whether you're being driven by love, you know, 
That doesn't mean that everybody will have a positive response. No. You know, there's the odd guy that, you know, when you manifest the gift of the Holy Spirit in whatever way, shape, or form, you know, they, that'll collide with stuff maybe that they're carrying too, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm talking demonic stuff. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, I mean, I think about Jesus. He walks in, starts preaching in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. And, and the, demon, the guy with the demon jumps up and hollers, I know who you are. And it wasn't the guy talking, right? It was a demon speaking through him. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you'll find with Jesus. Jesus was anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he moved and when he ministered, when he encountered people who were demonized, their demons manifested because of the power of the Spirit that was pouring out of him. Mm-hmm. And when that slaps up against the demon, the demon is, you know, it would scream or it would run away or it would manifest or it would beg to be thrown into the pigs or whatever the heck it was. There's all kinds of those stories. But ideally, these gifts, these gifts are meant to share the love of God. Though I have the gift of prophecy, you know, the definition of prophecy, as we go on into, I'm just going to refer, you know, read 1 Corinthians 14 because we don't have time really today. But as we get into 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about the purpose of the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is to encourage. It's to build us up. It's to edify. Edify is, you know, one of those old English words that talks about uh, uh, encouragement or building you up. Uh, That's what the gift of prophecy does. It can also be a revelatory gift where when I speak a a word of prophecy to somebody, it touches a part of their life that they're, they're, you know, they they need encouragement in, right? Though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I can remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, like who's given their body to be burned? He's talking about martyrdom here, right? He says you can go as far as martyring yourself, but if you are not walking in the love of God, you are not living by His Spirit. It's wasted effort. So performance, right? You know, and that's what Jesus talks about. I was reading uh, the other day in Matthew, and he he was talking to the Pharisees who, uh, they were accused of, you know, they said, you and your disciples, you don't wash your hands when you eat. You're breaking the rules. And Jesus says, not washing your hands does not defile you. I mean, this is the Jews, right? They had all kinds of these food rules. (laughs) Eating pork. You're not allowed to eat pork. What's the other one you're not allowed to eat? Ostrich. You're not allowed to eat ostrich either, right? There's a number of things that were considered unclean. Jesus says, you know what? That stuff does not defile you. You eat it, it goes into your belly, it gets burned up, it's gone. You poop it out later on, done, right? He didn't actually say that part of it, but I mean, you get what I'm saying, right? Uh, He says the thing that, that, that defiles a person is what comes out of the heart. The hatred, the selfishness. The evil thoughts, the lusts, these are the things that defile us. Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, this whole performance thing, it's an outer thing, you know. Um, we, need it, we need this love. Yeah. And I just had a thought when you were talking about the, mar- the martyrdom. Yep. I was thinking that uh, with it, a, a good example of that be like Meshach and Abednego and whatever, Shadrach. Would that uh, be considered a... Well, they were, all, they were almost martyred because they didn't actually die. But if they would have died, yeah, they would have certainly been martyred. 
And then they went into it in a good way, right? Like when you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they were commanded by the king to worship uh, an image of the king. And then, um, and then they just said, you know, um, we won't do it, you know. Um, well, we're going to throw you in the fire. Well, our God can rescue us, but if he does not, we're still not going to do it. So they were driven by their allegiance to, their, to, to God, and God rescued them. So technically, we would, yeah, we would consider them ready to be martyred, but they didn't actually get martyred because they didn't actually die. But there are a number of stories. Like anyone who wants to read uh, stories of martyrs, you read a, a book called uh, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs. Yeah, it, what's that? That's such a difficult book to read. In my oh, I, I couldn't read it all in one sitting because it's it just too much. Yeah, yeah. But there are some amazing stories of, of how, you know, God strengthened people who went through martyrdom things. Anyway, you know, let's, let's as we step on to ver- verse 4 here. Verse 4 to 8 is a definition of love. And I find it interesting that Paul needed to define love. Because basically what it says to me is they didn't really know what love was, right? And that's one of the challenges for a lot of us. We carry different definitions, uh, of certain concepts. I was talking with somebody the other day about forgiveness, and uh, this person was a seminar speaker, and I'm a seminar speaker, and I said, you know, I've, I do this seminar on forgiveness. Yeah, 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 I do. I do. I talk about forgiveness in my seminar too. Really? Well, let's talk, tell, talk to me about that. Yeah, I do a, a little mention of it right here, about five minutes. Are you kidding me? I do an eight-hour seminar on forgiveness. Why do I do an eight-hour seminar on forgiveness? Because most of us don't know what forgiveness actually is. Right. And, in, and you have to explore the concept to come, to come to understand it, right? So it's the same thing with love. What is love? You, know, you can be told to love somebody and not know what you're being told to do. So we get a definition here. It says love suffers long and is kind, uh, or love is long-suffering, right? Uh, in other words, it puts up with a lot. Love does not envy. That means love, I, I, you know, I will never look at you if I'm loving you. I will never look at you and say, oh, I wish what he had. I, I wish I have what he had, you know. Get him out of the way so I can have his stuff. I will never envy you. I will never value your stuff over you. Uh, love does not parade itself, right? It does, it's not showy. Uh, it's not puffed up or proud. It does not behave rudely. Uh, it does not seek its own. So it's not selfish, right? It's not provoked. So love doesn't get easily provoked or easily offended. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. <laughs> you know, I think about, I always think about uh, driving past some guy who uh, cut me off on the highway and uh, farther down the road, the cops got him. And I drove back by and I'm going, yes. <laughs> oh, not very loving, right? Rejoicing in evil, you know. I got what he had coming to him, yeah, whatever. Apparently I wasn't loving in that moment. But it rejoices in the truth, you know. And, and this is interesting, too, because when you think about the truth, we talk about the truth. When the truth touches your life, it will reveal your value to God. It will reveal your value to the people who love you, like, you know. But it also reveals... That you, things like, you know, the things that you hide, the self-hatreds, 
the lies you believed about yourself. And it reveals those things, and it reveals them in the light of the love of God. And it brings freedom. Yes. You know? So it rejoices in the truth. When people finally actually... I've had people sit and say, you know, if I told you what I was really thinking or what I was really like, you'd hate me. Well, try me out. Okay, boom, and they tell me. And I'm going, that's awesome. Can we give that to Jesus? What? Yeah. I mean... That reminds me, boy, of that guy who wanted to strangle you with that cord at at Teen Challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you said, oh, you want to give that to Jesus? Like I said, no. Yeah, and he said no. Yeah, but he did the week later, eh? The thing I just want to say is the truth will always be revealed in the end. Yeah. Because you might think that you can run, you might think that you can hide, you might think that you you can uh, keep on sinning and not repent and not make things right. That the truth will always come out in the end. Yeah. God is truth and God is revealing. Yeah. And God and He does it in His way and His time. Yeah. The truth will set us free, but God is the one that reveals truth. Yeah. Yeah, and that with God, that truth always comes out for a redemptive purpose. It's always for a good purpose. And sometimes the challenge we have in getting real with God and with each other is we, we have to learn how to trust God's redemptive purpose, right? Yeah. So it says, you know, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. That doesn't mean that love is naive, right? Um, it hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Uh, so this love of God, you know, and actually the, the word love in here that's used is the Greek word agape. And it means unconditional love. It's the love that Jesus demonstrated when he died on the cross. And it's actually left to ourselves. It's an impossible task that Paul sets. Because we cannot generate that kind of love. You know, Jesus' last conversation with Peter, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Yeah. Oh, that was a different word that he used yeah. back, right? Philia. Um, okay. So back and forth they go a little bit, right? But Jesus loved unconditionally, and that's what Paul's calling us to enter into. Yeah. And when we love unconditionally, you know, it will condition the gifts that we're given. It will condition the way that we approach people. It will condition the way we live our lives. Yeah. We will give up our rights to bless other people. You get what I'm saying? We won't expect out of other people what they cannot or are not ready to give. This is one of Jesus' things, you know, that he, he loved people, but, and he grieved over people even because they were lost. But he also didn't expect from them performance that they couldn't give. Mm-hmm. That's called grace, right? Yeah. Instead, he came to offer them what they couldn't generate on their own. And so that's really what, what Pentecost is all about. You know, when we look at Pentecost, uh, we think about Acts chapter 1-8, where Jesus says, you know, the day is coming, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive the power to live for me wherever you are. And that, that power of the Spirit, you know, Galatians 5, 23 and 24, speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. What does the Spirit really generate? Well, the, the Spirit gives gifts. Mm-hmm. But the first thing, biblically speaking, that the Spirit generates is love. Mm-hmm. You know, so I remember... You know, in my own experience, when I was first prayed over to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they warned me, you might speak in tongues. Well, I didn't speak in tongues, but I did fall in love with Jesus. 
And I think that night is the reason that I am where I am today. It's the reason it's set my course in life. So, you know, um, Paul, Paul just says that love never fails. And when he says that love never fails, he's actually saying that God never fails. This God who is love. Where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, that which is in part will be done away. There's a day when we all will face death. And as we enter into heaven, Scripture talks about how we will stand before the judgment seat. We will be declared innocent publicly before all of the people, all of the angels in heaven. And in that moment, all these gifts of the Spirit will be gone because we don't need them anymore. So these gifts of the Spirit are to make up for many of our weaknesses. But it says when we get to heaven, there will be no more weakness. And so we won't need the gifts anymore. We will stand before God, and it says this, now we see in a mirror dimly, and when he talks about a mirror dimly, back in Paul's day, they did have mirrors. Mirrors were polished, made out of polished metal, as far as they know. Mm-hmm. Mirrors were not made out of glass and mercury like they are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you looked in a mirror, you only got a faint approximation of yourself. You're better off to look at, a, look at some water, stare down at some water, is to look in one of those old mirrors. So they saw dimly. They didn't see, we don't see perfectly. But then, talking about heaven, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am fully known. And so it says, then we shall fully know. We shall fully know everything. You know, who here, you know, you've ever thought, you know, I want to ask God about something. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, you know, how this, this, and this happened, right? And uh, he says, you will then fully know as you were fully known. And this idea of being fully known is we will understand that we were fully laid bare before God and that we are unconditionally loved and that that ultimate freedom will be ours for eternity. So Paul finishes this chapter up and he says this, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Uh, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. So actually, oop, I jumped over. Sorry about that. Um, and now abide. So uh, now, now these things remain. Faith, that's the ability to trust God. Hope, it's the anticipation that more is to come. And love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then we go into 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And it talks about he who speaks uh, in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God no one understands him. However, the spirit in the spirit he speaks mysteries, right? He who speaks with a tongue edifies himself. It's a good gift. And God gives it to people who need a little bit extra edification. Uh, so, you know, anyway, I encourage you to read... Uh, First uh, Corinthians 14 um, and, uh, and to whatever gift God gives you and God gives every one of us gifts in some way shape or form we use them to share the love of God so now these things abide faith, hope and love but the greatest is love Let's pray. God Almighty we tell you we love you again we thank you for your love for us 
And Father, I thank you for each of us that are gathered here together. Lord, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this day. Lord, today is Pentecost Sunday. Would you pour out your Spirit upon us in a fresh anointing this week, Lord, this day. Fill us, overflow in us, Lord. Um, Give us the gifts of your Spirit, whichever ones you will. Lord, that's what your Word says. You manifest them as you will. So, Lord, you know how you want to build us together into a body for you. You know how you want to equip us and gift us. Let it be done that you might glorify yourself. Lord, fill us with this love of Christ, this unconditional love, that we are driven by that love as we touch other people and as we touch you. And so, Lord, for all of this, we thank you that we receive what you give in Jesus' name.